Welcome to College Soccer Nation, the premier podcast focused on NCAA collegiate soccer, featuring SMU head women's coach Chris Petroselli and Old Miss head women's coach Mad Mod. You can download and listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your soccer friends. Now let's go to Coach Petroselli and Coach Mod. Hello and welcome into College Soccer Nation with Rico and Madi. My name is Matt Mott, also known as Madi. I want to bring in Chris Petroselli, also known as Rico. Uh, you are not letting it die, are you? You are not letting it die. <laughs> I get all the people tell me they want it. They want the Rico and Madi. So, you know, I got to I gotta deliver, Chris. All the people, with... it has to be more than beeps. There's got to be uh, more than what, I'm trying to give the people what they want, Chris. Right. So uh, just to be clear, we've had uh, we're on Tuesday night tonight because you were playing and I was traveling and who knows yes. what Brian was doing. But uh, we had yeah. to come on Tuesday night um, and big win for the uh, Mustangs over out in Denver. Congratulations. Thank you. It was not easy. I will say that it was not easy. They're a good team. They are yeah. A good team. You know, Chris, it's college soccer. It's nothing's easy. Yeah, right? Everything's difficult. Yeah. Um, but I am tired. I got up at 2.30 this morning, Central Time, to catch my flight to get back in time for college. So, well, let me tell you about my day. Got up at 2.30, got a 5 a.m. flight. but Well, 3.30 Eastern, 5 a.m. flight. Got in 8.30 into Memphis, flew, uh, drove down, got here in time for practice. Then, Chris, I taught a sports psychology class. You didn't huh? teach the class. You didn't teach the class. <laughs> well, what do you call it? I was a guest what speaker. What did you do? You were a guest speaker. speaker. All right. Yeah, so and, I talked them about what I talked them about culture and chemistry. Oh, two things that you know you'd say I know a little bit about. But now was this an in person or virtual? Yeah, in person. How many of them were sleeping by the time? I was- <laughs> see. I think one guy in the corner was honest <laughs> to God. I looked at him one point. Go, that's some guy sleeping. Uh, anyway, he's he's per- he's perched back on the wall. Came in late. Uh, but no, Josie Nicholson, who we've had on, Doctor. Oh yeah, Nicholson, sure. Yeah. She asked me to speak at her class. So uh, I gladly did. You know, you know, though, Chris, when I speak, I need a podium. I don't know about yeah, you, but I, like, I need I something like in front of me. Oh, yeah, I, like I don't like just yeah. being out there in the air. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, uh, yeah. Yeah, I need some hands, something with hands. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, great show tonight. John Walker from Nebraska is on with us. Looking forward to chatting that with him. One. He has a, a just a fantastic career and a great story. And um, he's done such an excellent job over there at Nebraska through you know, probably three decades, right? He's got to be getting close, close to 30 to years. Yeah. 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 So uh, looking forward to him. We've got the big deal coming up in a minute, but again, we're going to bring this back. I've got two questions for you. Okay. Question segment. Okay. Both I think are, uh, are inter- will be interesting to get your thoughts. Okay. Here you go. First question. This comes from uh, Jess in Tupelo. Yeah. Uh, I, know. I know Jess. How you doing, Jess? <laughs> uh how what do you think is an appropriate sideline attire and why is there such a wide variety in soccer have we not done this question before i don't think we have i feel like we have because you're always so concerned about your side the producer is shaking his head no okay well you're I'm always not concerned, so concerned about it at all you're yeah you are you're very concerned about your sideline attire after every game you talk about your sideline attire you talk oh, really? about every game attire, I talk about you talk about the game okay so uh, you know well, how, how come some people wear ties like EPL? Let's talk EPL. How yeah. come some of those guys are they, they're from some sweats? To we had this conversation. We talked about this. There are there are guys that are they call them tracksuit coaches, right? I mean, they wear their sweats. They're they're on the field. They're 
they're working hard and then and then they wear that on the sideline during games. And then there are the guys that are buttoned up and they're more the managers. This you is know, the first time I've ever spending, heard this. Maybe they're not spending as much time on uh, on the field in training. And then during the game, they show up in their, you know, their jacket and tie and, and that kind of thing. So, so there, I think sir- there's two different personalities when you talk about it in EPL. When you talk about it in, in college soccer, mm-hmm. it, there's everything is out there. You know, there's everything out there. The worst look is the softball jacket. Anybody who wears that cut off, you know, on the arms, cut off jacket. That's the worst look of, of all of them. But other Why is that, that the worst look, Chris? It, Why is that it's the worst open. Look? It's open. You could wear whatever you want. Um, so you're saying Sir Alex Ferguson was more of a manager than a coach on the field. Later in his career, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. Um, so, all right. So have you ever heard of the strength coach mullet? Attire. I, I mean, I, I've not heard of it, but I think I could figure out what it means. What is it? It means you know that I, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing that it means that a lot of strength coaches have mullets. No, 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 no. The, the, the dress strength coach mullet. A strength coach mullet is a polo shirt with gym shorts. That's called a strength coach mullet. Think about strength coaches and picture that, right? Wearing a polo shirt. Yeah. Like a yeah, polo shirt. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But I have to be honest, my last four or five games I've gone with the string coach mullet. It's been very comfortable more oh. than the khaki shorts and the, the softball jacket. Now I will get to the soft. It's not softball jacket, the half jacket, hot jacket, as they call it. I will get to that as it gets, weather gets cooler. Okay. Uh, that's all I got. Well, we've done, we did that. One oh no, I have one more question. Sorry. One more yeah. question. Yeah. Um, how, and this kind of goes to our game on uh, Sunday against the picker, which we drew one, one. Yes. How come I have such a hard time getting a yellow card? I tried, Chris. I tried everything I could on Sunday to get a yellow card. I screamed. I yelled. I went on the field. Yeah. I did everything I can. And I couldn't get a yellow. But you seem to get them no problem. So what's the it's difference? Not true. It's actually not true. <laughs> I haven't had one. In- and I worked with you. You got them all the time. Yeah. Well, it was because I got no help from anybody Anybody from my <laughs> coaching staff. I had to do everything, right? Yeah, that makes sense. But so, I, so what, I would what say- do I have to do to get a yellow? Well, first of all, I would say – you have to try to not be everybody's best friend all of the time. Okay. And I think that's hard for you because you, you know, you want people to like you. So as I don't I'm, want people to like me. People just you like had your, you know, your psychology want- class. I'm going to psychoanalyze you a little bit here, right? You want people to like you all of the time. Okay? No, so, no, people just like me because I'm nice. Unlike you, no, who's grouchy no, and, and negative so, all the time. And the whole time before the game, talking to the referee and <laughs> asking them how their family is and, you know, talking to them about about hot dogs and and all of this kind of stuff, right? And then when you start when you start yelling at the referee, he doesn't really take you that serious. He's like that guy was just talking to me about, you know, he liked he liked the hot dogs that they have at the concession stand. He's not really. So you're saying I got to be a jerk the whole time, and then that's easy to get yelled. He's faking it, you know, to try to get me to you know have a reaction. So I'm not I'm not falling for it. That's kind of what I think happens. Hmm. Interesting. Well. I don't necessarily agree that, but I can't get a yellow. I try and I try and I try. Can't get one. Anyway. All right. Let's move on. Opinions on overtime. Yeah. Let's talk about overtime a little bit. Right. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you have a, uh, an opinion on the overtime rule as it stands in college soccer? Like it? You yes, know, like I it, do. You want to see something different. What, what do you think? Well, I would say this about three or four years ago, I was an advocate of overtime. I would say, yes, overtime is good. Games get settled, blah, 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 blah. I used to think, oh, my team's always so fit. We can handle it more than the other teams. 
Now we've played in a number of overtimes too. You know, again, I'm maturing as a coach and I think it's ridiculous. I don't think the stats back it up for the amount of time to put in the extra 20 minutes on the players fatigue, especially in Thursday, Sunday. So I am, I would be all for getting rid of the college overtime as it stands right now. I, I certainly don't think we should change it by any, any, um, you know, I don't think we should say, Oh, we got to play the total 20 minutes or anything like that. No way. If anything, cut it out. I, 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 if you're going to keep it, then it has to be Sunday. So the argument, um, the argument for overtime has always been there will be so many ties and the NCAA committee is mm-hmm. the group that wants overtime because they want results. So what, what's your response to that? I've never heard that one time. In my two years on the committee, no one said, oh, I'm so glad we have overtime so we can solve these, these well, games. I can, see where, I can see where that I can see where that is a legitimate concern for a bunch of administrators that aren't coaches yeah. that want to have results. And, you know, think about how many administrators do you have? And I think there are plenty of really good soccer administrators out there, so I'm not saying that. But how many of them that don't understand, that don't like ties, that hate ties? Blah, blah, blah. Listen, we had a tie with Memphis early in the season. It was a great tie. Sure. A great tie, right? We had a, a tie on Sunday with with uh, the picker, with with Sanford. It was a good tie. Uh, it was a fair result. And so we had to play an extra 20 minutes. You think if that question went to your committee what, and they and you said, okay, you can choose to not have overtime or have overtime, I'm just asking you to guess. How yeah. would that how would that vote come out in your committee? It's a good question, Chris. It really is. It's, it's something to ponder. I want to say that they would, you know, go off last year. So we had all new people this year. I think last year's group probably would want overtime to answer the question. Yeah. I wouldn't, but I think the group as a whole probably would. Because it does, It. I mean, the, the, the piece for the committee makes sense. Yes. But, I mean, because we had a big problem Two years ago with Duke had six ties. Yeah. They were like nine, one, and six or something like that, right? Yeah. They only had one loss, but they had six ties. So did they really have – were they really 12, four, 12 and four, right? You get a half a win, a half a tie with the six ties. So it, it's an interesting debate. I think we should bring in uh, the big deal and get his opinion on it, don't you think? Let's ask him. Let's ask him. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, listeners of College Soccer Nation, it is always our pleasure this time of the podcast to bring in the big deal, Mr. – uh, Brian Lee, who uh, he had a draw himself this uh, this past Sunday against the uh, Texas Longhorns. So, Brian, have you been listening? Do, what do you think on this uh, question about overtime? I, I have been listening. Um, I think the point Chris has made about wins and losses helping the committee is real. And I would think with reflection, they would actually want overtime to make the job easier but I, I'm certainly against it. You know, the, the issue to me is, especially when you're Thursday, Sunday, if you go to overtime, uh, win, lose, or draw, I don't know how that rolls out, but I know the Tuesday after a Sunday overtime game, our training's have affected, and we're already playing again on Thursday. So we're going to have a week because we played overtime on Sunday. We're not really training. We're preparing mm-hmm. Thursday night, but we're not training at all. Yeah. Same with us. Um, the novice in the group, our producer, just said, "Just go, just got, just go to a PK after one overtime. Good practice for the tournament." You can't. Do what do you think about going to PK shootouts, uh, Chris? 
you can't do it after one overtime because of uh, the you weather. Know, the weather, right? You might have the wind, right, or you might be playing in front of a a goal that is full of water or something like that. So you'd have to have two shortened overtimes and then go to penalties if um, if that's what you want to do. But my, yeah, I, I'd like to see him get rid of it. I just I, I think at this point, um, all it does is put wear and tear on the legs of players. All it does is add to injury. Um, it's it's just too difficult to play these two games in in a week, and you know the the players are getting bigger, stronger, faster, meaning you know bigger collisions and and those kind of things. Just get rid of overtime. That's that's my sense on it. Yeah, there was there's some really interesting stats on it uh, a year or two ago about how few so few games are actually decided in yeah. overtime. It was pretty shocking. So, all right, let's move on with the big deal, Chris, shall we? Yep, 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 yep. All right, Brian, you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. All right. Here we go. Big results from uh, from the week. Um, there were some interesting ones um, and some important ones, and feel free to comment on any and add to any maybe that I missed. Um, Arkansas on Monday beat uh, BYU 2-0. Really a dominant display, I thought. Uh, Duke with a big win over Stanford. Uh, Tennessee over South Florida, South Florida, missing a center back who had a red card the game before, um, Virginia one, Santa Clara zero, uh, probably a big result as far as the national picture goes. Um, Penn state beats West Virginia two zero USC beats Michigan one zero LSU five Arizona state two. North Carolina two, Stanford one, and I didn't mention. I probably should have mentioned the the UCF win against yeah. Penn State. You know that was two zero. Any of those um, do anything for you? Well, I had a couple of big picture things. Again, the ACC dominance for Duke and Carolina to both beat Stanford, and Virginia to beat Santa Clara. That's the best of the West Coast um, coming over. And sure, they were at home, but. They swept again. And, you know, a couple of the games, the Central Florida Penn State game was so interesting in that Penn State was so dominant on the front end of it. And then gradually the game turned back to Central Florida in the second half. You know, I if you follow XG, um, you know, in the data analytics, there's so many of these games this fall so far that are getting fairly big spreads in the expected goals that the results going to the, the opposite team there were, you know, we're, we're seeing a bad beat at least one a day. That's somewhat significant. That that's probably the most interesting thing to me. And I, I thought central Florida Penn state was a pretty good example of that. I'll say this, Chris, um, I watched a good part of Michigan and USC. And I would say if I was the big 10, I would be very concerned about Michigan. They looked very good in that game. Really disappointed not to get the result because I think they deserved it. It was a good game. You know, both teams, very good, high level game. And, and I think for the majority of the game, Michigan, Michigan was the better team and probably deserved to win. So I think, uh, look out for the, uh, the Wolverines. Um, yeah, and that they have some talent for sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. As, as I watched part of that as well. And as they were, as I was looking at the lineup, I was like, oh, yeah, she's good. Oh, yeah, she's good. Oh, yeah, her. Oh, I forgot about her. You know? So they got a yeah. bunch of players there. You know? Well, you're saying that they're playing USC, you know, Penelope yeah. Hopkins. Yeah, got a bunch of players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I would say the uh, 
The LSU Fighting Tigers are scoring goals like it's easy against everybody and anybody. It's pretty impressive. They really are. They really are. And, and, you know, and they went out out to Arizona. They beat Arizona in the first game, you know, and and I think that was that was pretty much expected. And, you know, as as Arizona's down some. um, But I, I think that was I think we all thought that was a pretty even game with with Arizona State going mm-hmm. into it. And the fact that they put five on them. Um, I, and they had, like you said, they've scored goals against everybody. Um, well, think about that, so, that four game stretch. They just went on South Florida, UCF, Arizona, Arizona state all away four and oh. And I, I mean, I don't know how many goals they scored, but they scored a bunch. Yeah. So they they look strong. They're good for them. It'd be interesting. And when they go into the league again, when, yeah. when you go into the league, like, you know, you really find out about teams as, as you're playing teams that, you know, are familiar with you and, rivalries and all of that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. they are hot at the moment for sure. Yeah. Well, if, if only one of us had seen it coming. <laughs> oh God, here we go. God, God, I can't take it. I can't take it. There is one of us. It. Yes, Brian, you did. You did. Yes, and, you and did, Brian. Good job, as, buddy. If only. That was a Matt Mott comment. comment, Chris. That was a Matt <laughs> Mott comment right there. Pat himself on the back. Yeah. All right. All right. You got overreactions for us, Brian? Yeah. Oh, we got overreactions. Are you ready? Ready. All right. Number one, and you just respond fact or fiction and then debate it. Overreaction number one, the addition of BYU, Cincinnati, Central Florida, and Houston is a net boost to the Big 12, and it will be a better soccer league with those teams replacing Oklahoma and Texas. Fact or fiction? Ooh, that's a good one right out the get-go. That is a good one. You're going to have to ask the whole question over again. i got to think about it a little bit more. That was a good one. That's a good one. Ask it again. The addition of BYU, Cincinnati, Central Florida, and Houston is a net boost to the Big 12, and it will be a better soccer league with those teams replacing Oklahoma and Texas in soccer only. Fact or fiction, Matt? I'm ready to go. Can I go first? Well, this is what I'd say, and no disrespect to anybody, right? Let's make sure we get that clear. BYU is the best of the six teams we're talking about, right? So they're better than Texas. They're better than they're they're better than than OU. Houston might be the weakest of the group. Not that they're in a bad team, they're a good team. He's doing a good job, but traditionally they would be the weakest of that group. So Cincinnati and UCF are kind of the swing votes. UCF, obviously, great tradition, especially from like, you know, 95 to 99, where they were really rolling and had a great coaching staff. Uh, I was part of the staff at that time. Uh, and uh, Cincinnati. Don't forget UCF just beat Texas 4-0 now. They did. Um, forget that. I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that that's fact, Brian. I think it does get better. I, I do. I think they're they're all certainly BYU, UCF, Cincinnati have all shown through history they're very very good teams. Houston has still been up and down, but maybe they join it. But Oklahoma um, and Texas, yeah, that's that's a good one, Chris. Well, I, I think if you look at it at the moment. Right. You know, if you're looking at this year's teams, uh, I, I think that, that that's probably fact. But um, I think if you look at 
potential of what these teams should be um, and, and, and probably will be and, and even have been at times, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Oklahoma's had very good teams. Texas has had very, very good teams. Um, better than, you know, the other teams that, you know, that we've mentioned. Um, I, I think if you look at it sort of big picture, long term, um, I, I would call it fiction. So I guess I'm, I'm giving two answers there, depending upon how, how you're looking at it. I just think. Well, but know, Chris, I don't think you can say that there's ever been a period of time where Oklahoma has been better than BYU. Right. You can't. You can't, but right. you can say so. Texas, yes, Texas, yeah, Texas is 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 certainly been at that BYU level for sure, uh, and it's not a little bit and better. Here. Yes, yes, but OU has not. No, but OU's OU, been good. OU, They've had good years for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. Been in the NCAA tournament uh, more than Houston and Cincinnati. Um, uh, well, it depends I, when you're talking Cincinnati. Back in the day, they were good. Remember. Yeah, but there were only eight teams in the tournament. They weren't. <laughs> I know. I'm know, just so. saying. Still a tournament. <laughs> anyway, that's a good one, Brian. That's a good one. Yeah. What's your thoughts, Brian? Well, Houston beat Oklahoma earlier this year, and Central Florida beat Texas earlier this year. BYU's pretty perennial. Central Florida, um, you know, once in a while they'll yo-yo down, but that's a top 30, 40 program in the country consistently. Um, so, I mean, I would say it's a, an edge right now to the, uh, to the new teams joining the Big 12. You know, you'd like to say things have been flow, but Oklahoma's been down for a long time and it's hard at those schools if they've been down for a long time to get it turned around. It's not easy. So mm -hmm. I, I would go edge that way. But, you know, I, I also think Texas is good and I think they'll still have a good season this year. And their history's very good. Um, if you laid them out, it'd be really interesting to see what it really looks like next to BYU over the years. It's probably closer yeah. than we think. Um, well, you know, Chris, obviously someone was screaming a few days. He's got a very raspy voice. You know, that sounds like his, uh, you know, Marilyn yeah. Monroe type voice he's got going there. So well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's overtime. It's another reason to not have overtime. He, yeah, there you go. You're squeezing blood out of the turnip. <laughs> Hey, let's let's not lose sight of. We got to make sure we mention that Brian had the at the tie with Texas, right? We're, I mentioned that right at the beginning. I mentioned that right at the beginning. That's All right, let's go, Brian. Result, Brian. All right, number two. Through thirty percent of the season, which we've already played, the simulated RPI has already normalized, and seventy-five percent of the at-large fields are already currently in the top forty. I'm going to read them for you. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I have no idea. Okay, I'm good. Do yeah. it quick. I'm going to yeah. do it quick. You're going to read 40 teams? I'm going to read them really fast. Okay. All right. All right. You're going to get the gist of it. And then we have to say that 75% of these teams will be at large. <laughs> How many 75% of 40? Darren? <laughs> of the 30. 40, yes. 30. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Hold on. All right. <laughs> and I'm going to go quick. He's always got one, Chris. Now, it, while I go through these, when I say like Western Kentucky, you have to assume that's Conference USA's bid. Does that make sense? So don't be coming back at me with Boise State so number 20. Now we have to, we have to find 75%, but we can't include the automatic bid. 
Uh, yes. I just want you to look at answer when, When's Karen Hoppe coming into this somewhere? <laughs> All right. Are you ready? <laughs> you ready. South Carolina, LSU, TCU, Rutgers, Xavier, Harvard, Oregon State, North Carolina, Florida State, Penn State, Boston College, South Florida, Duke, Western Kentucky, Arkansas, West Virginia, Milwaukee, Cal, Cincinnati, Boise State, Ole Miss, Pepperdine, Georgia, Pittsburgh, Central Florida, Oklahoma State, Nebraska, Memphis, Notre Dame, Southern Cal, VCU, Santa Clara, Hofstra, NC State, Denver, BYU, A&M, Auburn, Georgetown, Seattle. You're telling me 75% of those teams will not be in the NCAAs. Will not be in? Fiction, no. I'm saying they will be, but fact or fiction. So we oh, well, have to, I, would have to be 10 teams that wouldn't be. Yes, that is good math, correct. Well, I, uh, I, I heard the name Ole Miss, so I'm saying that's fact, baby. Let's go. We're in. We're in. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know how you quantify that, Chris. <laughs> Listen, what I know is there are going to be teams on that list that drop 70 spots before – 70 or 80 spots before it's done. There are going to be teams that weren't listed that are going to come up 70 spots. So I, it's hard for me to say 75% of the field is already done. So I guess I'm going to go with it's fiction. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to agree because I have no idea what we're talking about at this point, so I'll just agree with that. <laughs> All right, number three. Oh, there's a third one. <laughs> you did do the math quite well, though, on the 75%. I'll give you that. Number three, after two points in two games to start qualifying, the U.S. men's national team will miss out on the World Cup. Fact they, uh, they take three. Is it, uh, am I right? Three teams qualify plus one goes to a playoff. Is that right? Correct. Yes. With Asia, South America, and Oceania. And it's some sort of draw for who you play. Those teams go through. Yeah. Um, That's uh, that is fiction. The U S will qualify. Oh yeah. Totally agree. USA is getting in. No question in my mind. Not concerned at all. Big game next week against Honduras away. CONCACAF away games are not easy. Not easy. Uh, Not easy. All right, last one's special. Oh, yeah, four. This is a special bonus since we all love Ted Lasso. This is a Ted Lasso, fact or fiction. Richard Beebe, the volunteer coach at Ole Miss, (laughs) is the inspiration for the character of Nate in the hit show (laughs) Ted Lasso. Fact or fiction. That is fact. That is fact. <laughs> the sad thing is, I don't think Beebs watches the show because he doesn't have uh, Apple TV or whatever. But uh, I'm saying no comment. No comment. No comment. No comment. Well, I got one more comment on this. The old Miss staff. Now that Roy Kent has joined <laughs> Richmond United, you've got the whole staff. Roy Kent is Tomo. Yeah. Nate yes. is Beebe. Yeah. You know, so they still don't have women involved over there with soccer. So Jess is out of luck. And of course, you're a Ted Lasso, Matt. Oh, of course. You know, we have Ted Lasso night coming up this Thursday night. It's pretty, pretty accurate time. Ted Lasso, what what are you going to do? No, you know, they wanted, they, no, they have a pretty good promo going on. It's pretty funny, though, actually. You have to wait and see it, Chris. You have to log on to see it. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, What else we got for him? Oh, we got Team of the Weeks. Oh, team of the week. What you guys got? I'll go first. You guys are gonna love this one. I'm going with the Memphis Tigers. 
win over Kansas, win over Alabama. Two very good wins. They're rolling Memphis Tigers. Was it basketball? <laughs> <laughs> Those are two good wins, but team of the week, there's 340 teams playing, Matt. Yeah. I yeah. looked for two good ones. Uh, too many people played one game. Like I did have Duke, but they only played once. Oh, yeah. I had some other teams I was looking at, but I played one game. Chris, you go next. Uh, I'm going to go with the Sanford Bulldogs. Uh, 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 of course you are. Uh, come on now. A win over Alabama. A tie with Ole Miss. Four points against two SEC teams. Uh, what, what, what's that they say? It's just more important. Or what's the SEC saying? I'm not telling you. And second it of all. It just means so more, in, Chris. It just up, means more. It just Hold means on. more. Right? Wait, so wait. Are we, are, we talking, are we talking football? <laughs> Alabama um, and Ole Miss? <laughs> it just means more to the Sanford Bulldogs the picker with a great week it was congratulations to Todd and obviously yeah. that's a big deal on his campus those are two great programs to have, to have gotten results with all right mine is actually to uh, echo Matt Little it might have been one game but I'm taking the Duke Blue Devils they keep coming back and showing us they're for real huge win over Stanford kind of Puts an exclamation point on the early season that would say they're a real national championship contender. I do not disagree. I had them on my list, but I thought you guys would hammer me for just having a team that had one win, so I didn't want to go there. What a surprise. Brian steals my team and then hammers my team. All right, upset special. I hammered your selection. Memphis is excellent. Great team. Yeah. Okay. All right, upset. Upset of the week. Who's going? I'll go. Go ahead. I'm going to take the uh, Missouri Tigers over Notre Dame. Huge yeah. win. 3-2 yeah. in overtime. No one saw that one coming. Congratulations Not- to Coach Golan on a great win against the Fighting Irish. I wonder uh, – the thing The thing I wonder about that result is, does that tell us more about Notre Dame or Missouri? I don't know. Good question. It was hard to say, you know, watching the game, Missouri kind of punched him in the face 2-0 early. Then it was all Notre Dame, and you're waiting for the winner, waiting for the winner. Overtime starts, they're on top of them. And the first time Missouri gets real possession across midfield, a kid hits a screamer from 35 yards. Yeah, great goal. Yeah. <laughs> great goal. Yeah. Brian, what do you got? <laughs> um, I'm going to take Brown 2, Oklahoma State 1. Oh, that was my other one I looked at. Yeah, I like that one. You know, big win for the whole league. Where, where was it two years ago when they played and they threw up the great numbers and had figured out just win a ton of games, but they didn't have the quality wins in the uh-huh. league. That's a quality win that'll stand up at the end of the year in all likelihood. Big win for Brown. A big win for Brown. And now we have a uh, fired up Oklahoma yeah. State. Team Not a Dallas good win for SMU. Okay. Not a good win for SMU. <laughs> Uh, lucky for you, Colin's not much of a motivator. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. All right. I'm going to take uh, the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Oh. Hilltoppers, aren't they? Hilltoppers. Yeah. With the win over Louisville. Um, you know, win over an ACC opponent is a big win. Certainly a big win on their campus to beat Louisville. It's, you know, um, regional kind of game, and, and uh, it's a big result for Western Kentucky. 
a week after beating Vanderbilt. And, yeah. And some insight to him. They lost the Conference USA Player of the Year last year in the tournament. Who's out? Is he's? Huh. They're doing this without their best player. Wow. Is she coming back? By the way, Brandon, we play them Sunday. I don't think <laughs> she'll be back by Sunday. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Ryan, excellent job as always. Entertaining. I think that was a good segment. You had the little 75%. This is the problem, Chris. When he starts adding things to his questions and, you know, a million dollars for this and 75 of that, and that's where he goes off. That's where he gets off. You got to have shorter questions, Brian. They got to become shorter. The first one was good, but I needed it read a couple times to think it through. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a two way street on this. I got to (laughs) read score. I got to, you know, I don't use the phrase dumb it down, but I got to yeah. slow it down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Enjoyed All right, Brian, uh, any Thank thoughts you, Brian. On, uh, on Coach Walker? Oh, man. Uh, living legend. You know, one of the things from afar watching his Nebraska teams that I was always impressed with and I always enjoyed is his uh, lack of fear in being innovative and lack of fear of doing it his way and coming up with a, a way to win at Nebraska, you know, without huge in-state talent and obviously had Canadian connections, this, that, the other, but they were very, very nationally relevant for a long time and they weren't cookie cutter. He was playing his way to great effects. And, you know, he's really over the years continued to grow and um, change as a coach and, you know, figure out ways for his program to be successful. I, you know, from a pure soccer standpoint, I think it's going to be one of the best interviews yet. Let me say this, Brian. You know what they call that? What? Coaching. <laughs> brilliant awesome. statement, man. Just brilliant. <laughs> <It is. laughs> All right, Brian. Oh, Thanks for your time, as always. Yeah. We'll you. talk to See you, you next week, buddy. See you, guys. All right, Chris. Now, it's certainly our pleasure to bring in John Walker, the head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, former national coach of the year. He's won a ton of of conference tournaments, conference regular season championships, and a whole lot of games. So, John, thanks for joining College Soccer Nation on this Tuesday evening. My pleasure, Matt, Chris. Um, What we'd like to do, John, is we get right to it with you um, and really talk about um, your path and really how you got to Nebraska the many years ago. I know this year, 27 for you? 28. 28. Okay, so – how, how 28 years ago did you land in the home of the Cornhuskers? So if you could walk us through that, that would be great. Yeah, at the, at the time back in, I guess it would have been right around January 1994, I was actually the high performance director in Ontario, uh, the National Training Center. And we used to have a lot of U.S. college coaches come up uh, to recruit. And... Uh, Brett Simon was the assistant men's coach at Creighton. He came up a bunch of times. And uh, I think at the time I was training the under 17 boys uh, as one of the age groups and just got to know Brett a bit. We actually, we actually ran together and things like that. And uh, he one day said, Hey, Nebraska is starting up a women's program. They've called over to Creighton. They didn't have anyone in the athletic department in Nebraska with soccer background. And uh, uh, just, he said, would you have an interest if I put your name forward? And 
I, I honestly, I don't remember ever saying yes, but uh, uh, at the time, my wife and I, we had one-year-old twins and I went off to do, I was, I was, even though I was in Canada, I, I enjoyed doing the U.S. coaching courses, went to California to do the A license. And when we came back, no cell phones or anything back then, came back, there was like four or five messages from a fellow from Nebraska named Al Papik, who was a senior associate AD about the job. And uh, so that's kind of how I, I, I went down to interview. Uh, just timing wise, Mary and I have one-year-old twins. We just thought, let's go for it. You know, um, I went down the, the facilities were, you know, were, were great. Um, and I just felt like let's, let's give it a go. If it didn't work out, could go back to go back to Canada. And so that's how I ended up at Nebraska. Very cool. That's a great place too. I mean, it's, I think it's a place that would uh, impress anybody, you know, when, when they went and visited. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The facilities. And then the other part too, you know, just with, you know, uh, I'm sure you got, you know, with young kids, we just felt like it was a, like it seemed like a good place to raise, to raise a family. But I, it's funny. Cause I, 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 the two words that always stood out for me, my job in Ontario was high performance director, but we had, we didn't have good facilities. And I went there and the facilities, you know, and I remember thinking that's high performance, you yeah. know, so that's, yeah. that's, that's why that, that's what impressed me. Sure. John, John, was that 94? Was that um, Tom Osborne football national championship? Was that 94? It, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it was 94. Um, I, I remember uh, when I, on my way to the airport, I stopped in at my parents' place in Kingston, Ontario and my dad handed me a book it's called Big Red Confidential. And it was like one of those investigative yeah. books about college athletics and concentrate on Nebraska. And so I read it on the plane. And then I got off the plane and I'm meeting all the people in the department that were in the book. I didn't tell, I didn't tell, I didn't tell them that. <laughs> I read the book. But yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, no, that was it. That was, uh, I think the first year I was there. In fact, I was there over two years before they lost a football game. I think. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. I remember, I remember one of the years I'm just killing Florida in the national championship game. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. I actually went to that game uh, in, in, yeah, in Arizona and uh, yeah, no, they, I mean, if they weren't up like five touchdowns at halftime, I mean, there was unrest in the stadium. Like there there was a problem. (laughs) And it was it was not uncommon for to, them to have like three different guys run for over a hundred yards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy. Oh, something else, something else. That's awesome. For sure. Hey, uh, John, take me um, through the evolution of the program and and of the team and sort of of the the uh, the way that your team plays, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in, in talking about that some and the evolution of that. Cause I know over time, you know, that that's changed here and there, and there's been, you know, yeah. different ways of doing it for you over, over the course of time. So can you take us through the evolution of, uh, of sort of the playing style? Yeah. I mean, when I first got there, um, uh, as you know, Chris, to run a whole ton of programs and, you know, probably looking at things, trying to find the quickest way to, you know, build some success. We're very much a high pressure athletic program, you know, just press people to death and, 
uh, try and recruit athletes that could do that. And I think just, you know, at the time the model was probably North Carolina, not that we ever came close to their success or, or tried to play exactly like them. But I think a lot of that high pressing principles and, um, you know, recruiting speed and stuff like that. Um, so that's how we, that's how we started. And one of the, one of the first things I did was we had a really great AD Bill Byrne, you know, I just kind of said, well, what do you think you need to be successful? And, I thought, and one of the things I, I kind of was really adamant about was having a budget to travel in the spring. And so that allowed the first few years for us to go to Notre Dame, where you were, Chris, uh, North Carolina, Duke, um, all those types of places, Texas A&M, established programs. And keep in mind, I was, I, I was Canadian. I didn't know anything. <laughs> you know, those first few years, I just, you know, so uh, that was it. And so we would go in the spring. I think the first few years, I don't think we won a spring game, you know, for, I think we were like, Oh, and 15 or something like that. The first, first uh, three springs or something like that. Uh, but it allowed us to get a picture of what excellence was, what the standards were, different styles of play, that sort of stuff. And we took the spring games seriously, probably to, our opponents annoyance a little bit, you know, you guys probably, it's a spring game. Let's just get, get the minutes in for players and stuff like that. But we, we try to preach to our players, the importance of, we, we have to learn from these games and beat some of these teams and establish confidence and stuff like that. So it, initially that's what it was about was measuring ourselves against some of the top programs. We played a very athletic style. It was quite, you know, I, I, I know we even experimented playing with four forwards and, um, you know, just trying some things that, that were a little bit different. And so, so we did have success in those early, uh, well, it took us a few years, but did have success in those early, early days uh, doing it that way. It certainly helped. I had a, you know, I was involved with the Canadian national teams program um, really from the time I started at Nebraska, just about 1994, 95, up, like on a consistent basis up to maybe 2002 and then on and off up to 2008. So I helped with recruiting as well. You know, so the, some of the, you know, Karina LeBlanc and um, Sheralta known and Christine Latham, Brittany Timco, you know, the, like hall of famers now um, all, all played there. And, uh, and, and so, so it gave us, gave us an advantage that way. And then when, as things, as the college game got better, skill level got better, coaching got better. Um, you, you, you realize you just can't just, you know, press teams and, and hope for the best, you know, obviously that's, you had to evolve, um, how we, how we played. Um, and so we started uh, definitely trying to improve ability to build the attacks um, different heights of pressure and how we, how we have done things. And then um, we struggled a little bit after uh, as a program for about five years, probably after the death of Jenna Cooper, one of our players in 2004 and Jenna was murdered and it wasn't just, you know, it was a, she was a, she was a great player captain. Um, but it was a, it wasn't an accidental death either, you know, so uh, our teammates were present when it happened, there was a trial and there was a lot of kids from that 
team that never really were able to get to the levels they probably should have, uh, you know, reached as athletes as a result, um, hurt us with recruiting, um, as well. Um, and so it was just a real, it was a painful time and it knocked us, knocked the program back, you know, I, like I said, five years, I think. Um, and then I also went through some bad times health wise, you know, with, uh, back issues and, um, some, some other joint replacement stuff that didn't go well. And I ended up with over 20 surgeries. So you kind of, it was just a, just a tough time. And so the program was down for a bit and then we kind of found our footing again and as a counterattack team. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, we were really good in a zonal block had uh, found the right players to play in that system, uh, decent passing and um, but really, really disciplined um, like zone defending and able to counter out of that. And so we had some success again, uh, kind of working in that, in, in that system or that style, I guess. And I would say now we're, we're, we're probably just, we're, we're a balanced team. We're, we're, we're a decent passing team. We're, you know, we're good zonal defending. We're good in transition, I think. Um, and we're able to, this year we stuck with one system, but last few years we've been able to, you know, ch change and play different, different systems. Um, or like, so, I mean, I've been here so long guys that like, I mean, we, we've tried just about every, every system possible, but, uh, uh, and, but I would say the principles of principles of play uh, in terms of competitive play and stuff haven't changed. I think uh, uh, having a more, I don't want to use the word sophisticated kind of playing model um, has helped, uh, has helped us. I've tried to evolve as a coach. I think, uh, as you probably know, Chris is older. You're my, one of my biggest fears is you're, you're a dinosaur. You know, you're, you're thinking, well, let's, I'll do stuff I did back in 25 years ago. And of course the game's changed. So I've tried really hard to, to keep educating myself, you know, trips to Europe every year, pro clubs, MLS clubs, NWSL clubs, all, all that sort of stuff. And when I go to Europe, it's, it's, it's to see the academies, to see what they're doing, um, uh, both on the men's and women's uh, side. Uh, that to me is much more educational than going to watch like first team training. And because it's not, it's like comparing apples and oranges. So I, I would say now we're, we're, we're a team that, that has a, like a consistent playing model. Um, we're able to evolve shapes a little bit and, and we're a fairly, a fairly balanced team and how we go about doing things. It's, it's really impressive, John. And I think, I think I speak for all of us in saying how, you know, a great a job you've done there. And, and I think you're someone that is, you know, so highly respected throughout the country and the, the coaching circles for sure. And, and I have two questions for you on this one. So the first one is how difficult was it when you were pressing, when they didn't have the teams back and they, that were pressing a lot, how difficult was Friday, Sunday? to press on Friday against a good team and then Sunday. Then my second question to follow up on that is talk to us a little bit about your philosophy um, when you would play the goalkeeper so high kind of off of her line, like a, a sweeper keeper. I don't know if you're still doing that, but you did that back in the day. Certainly when we were at Texas, thought it was very difficult. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny. You go back to that Friday, Sunday and, and, Back then, you never really thought about like back in the day. You just like that's what it was. It was the same same for everyone, 
And of course, now you realize, you know, it's nuts. You know, it's not not safe. It's like like it's, in fact, when you try and explain to coaches from another country what your schedule is, you know, they they look at you like you've got two heads. What, you you force all your games into like about a 10 or 11 week window? Why do you do that? Why do you play, you know, twice a week? And and then you try to explain to them what the NCAA is and they just don't understand. So back in the day, it, 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 it didn't, um, we didn't think of it as a disadvantage, Matt. We, we, I mean, the fitness part was massive for us, you know, mm-hmm. like massive. And if you couldn't run, you couldn't play. Um, so, uh, you know, now, now I would see it differently, you know, again, with safety and better, better athletes and, uh, and so on. But back then I didn't think about it, but the, you know, kind of the high, the high keeper, we just felt it made sense. Um, uh, I mean, you, you certainly see a lot more of it these days, but back then we just felt like, Hey, if you can cut out the penetrative space, you can find a goalkeeper who's good with the ball at her feet. Um, then it, it made, it made perfect sense. And, and, you know, one of the biggest things was trying to make the game as uncomfortable for the opponent as possible, limit time on the ball, limit space, make them defend the space behind them, make them defend individually, make them defend the penalty area. Um, and of course we trained that way every day. So we go into games, it wouldn't be any adjustment for us. Um, you know, the, the onus was on the other team to, you know, to adjust. And so that's, that's, that was just kind of our, our thought process. And even today we do our, you know, we play, we play with our keeper higher with more, with more penetrative, you know, responsibilities and, and haven't, haven't gotten away from that over the years. Awesome. I can attest to being uncomfortable many times <laughs> in games against Nebraska. <laughs> um, John, I want to talk to you a little bit. Uh, we, we've, we've touched on it here a little bit, but um, the pressing piece, because your team still has that, right? I mean, it's, yeah. uh, as I've watched your team, you, you will back up. But when the time comes, you will press and it will be very difficult to get out. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you implement uh, the pressing piece with your team. And, you know, I'm sure you have some triggers and things like that you're, lo- you're looking for. Can, can you take us through that a little bit? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we kind of like, like most, pe- you know, most people, these are the, I'm sure lots of people are, are, are doing this, but we, we really talk about two types of press, you know, the transitional press or counter press, and then more the orchestrated press from a zonal block. And really the principles are, are the same. Um, the kind of orchestrated press from the zonal block is easier um, to be organized because people are in consistent start positions and the, the pattern of runs and stuff are, are, are similar, but essentially it's, uh, you know, first, first defender, um, press the ball and steer whichever, you know, whatever we decide, if we're, you know, going central, we don't want to steer wide or whatever. But I think, I think one of the biggest things there is, but the first defender's job isn't just to s- just steer. It's also to stop the forward action. And so making sure the players understand that. And then the second component is players uh, that are in obvious pass lanes being compact start positions. So ball side. Um, not behind behind your player. Uh, the third one is try, try to take away the negative option. So defender can't just spin out and go back to the keeper or back to another defender. And then the fourth one is cover. 
So, you know, if there's two center backs, one might, you know, take the obvious pass lane, the other one's covering, the goalkeeper's often covering. Um, and then the fifth one is the weak side players connecting to the shape. Um, and so we're we try to just go through those principles and just a little bit like pattern play in the attack, you do the same thing, pattern play with the pressing. And, uh, and, and you can vary it a bit, you know, from game to game. If we're playing, um, like we just played an opponent that, that had a super long throw, like, you know, like every time the ball went out, it was like it was going in your penalty area, you know, if it was in the front half of the field. So pressing on that day didn't make sense to steer the play outside because there'd be too many throw-ins, you know, so we wanted to press inside, you know, wanted to just really force inside and, and, and had some success or stop them from, you know, getting into positions where they would throw the ball in a lot. And, and so that's kind of, and even in the kind of the counter press or transitional press, it's, it's the same things. That one's harder, obviously, as we all know, just because the players are in different, much different positions often because you're attacking in expansive positions, trying to get in, you know, quickly into, you know, follow those principles. But I think, I think you do it enough time. You can, you can get those principles across. So that's, that's really how, how we try and do it. And, and different, different heights. Um, again, when I was a young coach, I thought pressing just meant as high up the field as you possibly could every time. And then of course, it, you know, as you become more experienced, you realize, you know, it might be better to wait and press in your own half only because there's so much space behind the opponent now. And, you know, some teams are very expen expansive in their attacks and can be vulnerable uh, in transition. So, um, so, so we are, I think we're, we're getting better at, you know, kind of understanding, being able to, to press at different heights, uh, kind of depending on our opponent and also depending on our own personnel. That's excellent. Excellent. Can you come coach my team for a couple of weeks, John? <laughs> we could use some help in that. Um, okay. We're going to switch gears just a little bit. Um, can you, uh, the question we have is, is can you give us a little bit of background, maybe your history with you with the Canadian national team, kind of how it started and, and kind of how, where you took it to? Yeah, sure. I mean, before I came to Nebraska, I was a technical director for Ontario soccer. And then I moved up to high performance director. So I had involvement. In fact, uh, my first national team appointment was World University Games men's team uh, back in 1993. So I think that was my first one. And then when I moved to Nebraska, uh, Neil Turnbull was a woman's head coach. And he just, you know, said, and I've known Neil a bunch of different coaching committees and coaching courses and stuff. And he said, hey, do you want to? you know, come in and assist with the, with the world cup team and the, and the under 20 team. And so sure, you know, I was, uh, I, I knew I could do it. Um, at the time, you know, the funding, it wasn't like it is today. You know, it, it was, you know, a few couple of training camps a year, maybe one or two tournaments, um, that, that sort of stuff. So it was very doable with my job here and the family and everything like that. And back in the day, I mean, it was different guys. It was like night and day, you know, you would, you'd be going to, um, uh, you know, your training camp might be at the Esquimo army base on Vancouver Island, you know, four coaches in a, in a barracks room. Hmm. Um, you're, you're, the coaches are driving the vans to the field. 
Uh, I always remember at that play, at that play, it was a good, it was a good training site, but like Monday night was maybe roast beef. Well, Tuesday it meant the dinner was beef fried rice. Wednesday <laughs> was beef soup. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thursday was beef pasta. You know, it was, it was, but, and you know, yeah. uniforms were hand me down from the men's program. You're going to tournaments. Uh, I remember going to, play I think it was the U.S. and I think Italy in Connecticut and you're walking out of the hotel and the U.S. woman are walking in you know it's Mia Hamm and Christine Lilly and all that and you're walking out as the assistant coach with the laundry bag on your shoulder because you're going around the corner to do the laundry you know at the, laun- <laughs> at the laundry mat that was part part of it so it, it was I mean <laughs> pioneer stuff you know I don't know what else to say but it was also so educational um, that the time spent with the coach, you know, the coaches. Um, so initially, like myself, Neil Turnbull, my current assistant, Ian Bridge, him and Ian, that's where him and I met. Uh, Neil Sedgwick's a great coach up in, he's up in Vancouver Island now, um, Neil Turnbull. And, and so we spent so much time talking about the game. I mean, we were literally you know, four guys in a room and you're just talking about coaching, you know, it's, it's almost when I look back on it, that was as educational as anything I, anything I ever did. And then you got to know um, things were probably a little bit more informal uh, with the other countries and stuff, you know? So if we played Norway, you met the staff and you chatted with them, you played the U S you know, same thing with the, with the staff, you, you, you know, just uh, Sweden, Brazil, um, whatever. And so it was, it was really educational. So that's how I got started uh, in it. And then, um, uh, you know, I stayed as a world cup team assistant, I think through to 2000 and then the under twenties, under seventeens, you, you know, worked with all those. And then when Evan Pellerud came in, um, he kept me on the staff. I wasn't full-time as the world cup team assistant. Ian was the full-time assistant, but Ian was also the under 20 head coach. So when Ian went away with the under twenties, I went in with Evan with the, with the world cup team, or sometimes I went with Ian as well. And, and there was different style, you know, um, he brought the Norwegian, you know, Norwegian, very direct style, but really structured as well. So that was different as well. The um, zone defending, you know, really disciplined and maybe a ways that I hadn't thought about. And so that, that was educational. And so I, I kind of stayed, involved uh, to some degree up to about 2008 so 2008 world cup in chile that was really my last uh, involvement but you know you look at it it was like a first involvement in 2003 or whatever you know so 15 years mm-hmm. of, of doing it and um super enjoyable um exciting exhilarating world cups under 20 world cups that, that sort of stuff and then and then super educational and then of course along the way you're you know, you were, worked with some amazing uh, players, uh, Hall of Famers. You know, some of the you know top top players, and 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 so it, it was just a wonderful uh, wonderful experience, and I, I was fortunate to be able to do it and combine it with my job at Nebraska. So Christine Sinclair must have been on your first team, huh? She's been feel like she's been on the team so long. She she was back then as like a seven year old. Yeah. I mean, what, what an amazing, amazing, amazing. player. Um, yeah. I remember her as a young, you know, kind of a young teenager and, 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 and 
I think everyone recognized she was going to be great. I don't think, any, you know, I don't think at the time you realize she's going to be one of the you know best all-time players, players in the world. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, amazing talent. Yeah. yeah. So you were, you were sort of in, in with the national team on, you know, when it started and, and, you know, the, the beginning of, of the process that they've been through and now, you know, they, they win the Olympic gold medal. So, you know, in this, in this time period, so 2008 until now, um, what's changed, how much has changed and, and what do you think, you know, what put them over the top to a point where now they're, you'd say they're one of the best teams in the world. Yeah. Um, well, this is more, I'm giving, I guess, my opinion now more definitely as an outsider because I'm not involved, uh, Chris anymore. Um, I think some of the, some of the things what, you know, from what I've seen, um, I think when, uh, John Herdman went in, uh, and I don't know John super well, I know, you know, I've met him a couple of times and had a couple of conversations, uh, but talking to coaches that worked, with them under him and stuff like that. He had a real definitive way of playing and not just a way of playing, a way of developing players. And I think that, you know, his work is being continued today. And so I think that's the first thing. And then I I think the second, the second part was, you know, I think he, he really had a belief that there's no reason why Canadian players can't dominate the ball as well. And where I think you know during my era there, you were always almost like working with the the mindset we're we're, we're not going to have the ball today, <laughs> you know, yeah. but we're going to battle them and we're going to you know be good on set plays and all that sort of stuff. And so I, I think that was a you know a real a real change. And and again back to having a proper kind of game model, way of playing, way of developing players, um, and then him being able to sell the players on that and the players improving. And feeling empowered by the fact that not only can we have success in the games, but we can dominate the ball a bit more. And then, and I would say this, you know, the, the other thing is, I think Canada is a nice size for um, a player talent pool. So sometimes the bigger countries, you know, constantly, let's try this player, bring, you know, trying different sets of players in. And I think Canada is that nice size where the it, there is a there is enough talent for sure but there's a it's not so big that the the continuity part um is there and as a result the it has more of a a club feel to it and i just know this from talking to some of my former players that, that were in you know uh, karina and people like that uh so it has has a little bit amy walsh and, and people so it has more of a club feel to it where each camp you have the same kind of core group of players and they'll help a few younger players, but you don't have constant change and turnover. And I think that, that, I think that, that carries some weight too. You see it, you see it sometimes like, um, I don't know, on the men's side, maybe like a a Denmark or, or, or someone like that, kind of the same, the same mindset. Really interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, all right, John, we'll get you out here. We've taken up for your time and really appreciate you coming on. You've been fantastic. Uh, but if you could take a few minutes and just, um, you know, tell us about Nebraska, why you love it, why you've stayed so long and, and, and kind of the best parts of Nebraska. I, I think, uh, you know, if someone had told me 
28 years ago, you're going to end up in Nebraska and not leave, you know, I would have laughed, you know, I just would have never thought it would happen. But I, I, I think, first of all, just from a family standpoint, it's a great, we have five kids, they're all grown now, um, a couple of them involved in college athletics um, uh, now, but um, I just, it's just a great place to raise a family. Uh, a lot of similarities to Ontario, you know, just in terms of the culture and um, you know, there's a work ethic, there's a humility component to it. Um, it just, I think it was just a good fit for me personally. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a flashy person. It just seemed like a good fit and has always seemed, seemed like a good fit. I think, um, well, you know, over the years, there, there, uh, I had some opportunities and looked and stuff like that, but it just, this just seemed right. And then uh, after a while, it gets harder, you know, definitely harder to leave until, until they ask you to leave, maybe, um, <laughs> uh, whatever. So it's, it, it's, a, it's a refreshing place, um, you know, work ethics appreciated. Um, like I said, great, great facilities. Obviously, you, you, mean you, you guys have been here, so you, you know it, it doesn't have, you know, the climate and the, the mountains and all, all that sort of stuff. But what it does have is a passionate fan base, a commitment to excellence on the on the facility side real support for all of its programs and we don't have any pro sports franchises and things like that so there is it, there's a little bit of uniqueness to it as well awesome, awesome. chris so, would never make it there he's way too flashy john uh, you know, he, he would never make it i will Nebraska. tell you it, it's a it's a great it's a great college town it really is a great yeah. college town i would think it would be a, a wonderful place to go to college um Probably not for me because it's too cold. I couldn't handle it. I'm way too soft for that, right? But anything. Remember, you remember, Chris, we used to let the grass grow a little bit longer. Uh, when, when you... The grass, grass would grow. The field would be smaller. That'd be, you know, and, and we would get bombarded, you know, and I, I'd go home thinking, man, what just happened? They just ran us over <laughs> again and again and again, you know. That's uh, great, were, that was fun though, John. That was, those were yeah. good. Times. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, it's uh, it's been a it's been a great journey. And um, as you know, Chris, you've been around right right from you're you're older than me, but you've been around right from the beginning. Hey. So, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> um, all right, John. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate Cheers. it. Um, really good job. It was really enjoyable to talk to you. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Chris. Great catching up with you guys. Yep. Good luck with yeah. the rest of the season. Good luck. Rest, yeah. Good luck. Yeah, the rest you, season, guys, John. you guys too. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. See ya. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Uh, wow. Chris, that was a good one. I thought very insightful. You know, I think the, the thing that's so impressive is like you mentioned, they played, you know, with forefront. I remember them doing that and everybody's saying, like, Oh my God, you believe Nebraska's playing with four forwards. And he would do that stuff to success because I just think he's that good a coach. It's, it was really uh Really a neat conversation, an enjoyable conversation. I was hanging on every word. It just they were so hard to play against. They mm. were they were so you know, he said, you know, we wanted to make you uncomfortable. It was more than uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. you didn't really want to play. You know, they, they yeah. put you in under so much pressure where you were just like, Can we get this game over with and move on to the next one? Because these guys <laughs> are just too, too tough. Yeah. And he's right. He had some he had some Hall of Famers in there. Oh, he had some for sure. Players. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and players that fit Nebraska, like he's saying hard work and humility. I mean, those guys yeah. were. Yeah. Whew. Anyway, that was I enjoyed that a lot. That was great. All right. Let's move on to uh, it's power five time. And I'm excited 
about this one because I went deep, Chris. I went deep in this. I didn't go, you know, the mainstream like you do. I went, I went deep. I went with good ones, I think. So you know, go first. You want me to go first? What are we doing? The the topic is uh, we haven't even mentioned this. Uh, top five sitcom characters. Sitcom. So unlike when we talked about Beebs a lot, he was hitting me with, uh, you know, do you have uh, Tony Soprano? And I had to explain to him sitcoms, sitcoms, 30-minute funny shows typically. Still didn't get it. Still didn't get it. No. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, all right. You want to go? You wanna, go ahead. You can go with the first one. All right. My first one is an interesting one. Um, <clears throat> might show my age a little bit, but we went with uh, – Top five all time we went with, right? We did. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go back to the honeymooners and Ralph Cramden. I didn't go back that far. Okay. I don't but know who that is. Fonzie okay. from Happy Days. Oh, ooh, that's a good one. Whoa. That's a good one. That's a good one, Chris. Uh, if I would have thought of that, I would have had that in. Shoot. That's a good one. Well, my right. five I like, and I'm, I'm kind of appealing to a different demographic of the podcast. But my number five, and, and, and part of the reason is we – my wife and I watch a show every single night. Um, and the more I watch it, the more she makes me laugh. I went with Phoebe Buffay from Friends. Very okay, funny. I really like Phoebe. I really like Phoebe, but and I and I thought about the the Friends group. And and my favorite has always been Joey. Mm-hmm. You're not like, like him. Joey. You're not like cool. him. I think Phoebe, I, what I found is that the older I get and the more I watch him, she cracks me up almost yeah, every episode. Funny. So yeah. yeah. All right, you're number four. My number four. Woody from Cheers. Ah, nice. He's good. I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him. Um, all right, my number four. I think it's got to be the king from King of Queens. Oh, I like him. Yeah, I like him. I like <laughs> yeah, him. A lot of similarities to him. Good, yeah. Oh, Kevin James, <laughs> like King of Queens. Good show. All right, your number three. Number three is Michael Scott from The Office. Yeah, I had the office in there, but then I then I went away from it. I went away from it. As much as I love the show, I do love the show. Still watch it. It's great, but I didn't have any office. My number three, similar to your number four, but mine's Ernie Pantuso, coach. Oh, from Cheers. coach, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, love, I liked his episodes better. They were, they were, he was yeah. great. Yeah. Very yeah. funny. All right, number two. Number two, Charlie Harper, Two and a Half Men. <laughs> <laughs> He has some issues. I don't know. I don't know. If yeah, he has some like issues. That's all part of it. That's all no, part of it. No, I mean, he has some issues, personal issues. He's yeah, but issues. It's, it's about the character. It's not about the person. Yeah, that's true. All right, my number two. <laughs> Hello, Newman. <laughs> Newman from Seinfeld. Newman. Okay. <laughs> oh, he's great. Great on the show. Yeah. Uh, my favorite line from him is when he, uh, when he had the, uh, they thought the guy was stealing the money from him. And he says, what kind of snowblower you got us? Caught up with Jerry. Remember that episode? It's awesome. Newman, love it. Okay, right. your number well, one leads me into my number one is George Costanza. Oh, see, Chris, I think I got you. I think oh. I got you this week. My okay. number one. How about Hawkeye Pierce from Mash? Yeah, Alan Alda. I, I, could, he's good. I, he's I good. Him. I can. Darren saying no. I, I thought Darren would be all over that. Yeah, I considered yes. him. Not not top five. First three seasons, yes, but then they got too serious. It didn't become. It wasn't as much of a situation comedy oh, the last five stop. years. It was still it, funny. So it doesn't even qualify. It doesn't even qualify. Yes, it does doesn't qualify. qualify for You'll sitcom. find people like him. He was fantastic. He was. He's good. still a good actor. He was on he the was. show. I was just watching. He was. Uh, uh, on that one of the Showtime shows, Ray Donovan. He was on Ray Donovan. He's excellent. All right. Well, there we go. Let's do it. Your five, Chris R. 
number five was Fonzie, four was Woody, three, Michael Scott, two, Charlie Harper, and one, George Costanza. See, George isn't even the best guy on that show, I don't think. All right, my five, Phoebe from Friends, King of Queens, the King, three, Coach from Cheers, Aaron Pantuso, Newman from Seinfeld, and Hawkeye Pierce, Alan Alda from MASH. All right, let's move it on, Chris. All right, we're uh, talking about big games this week. Yeah. Um, Florida State, Auburn. Yeah. Clemson, yeah. South Carolina, the battle for the Oof. Palmetto State. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Sounds uh, good. UCLA, Santa Clara. Ah, uh, great game. Penn State, Georgetown, Rutgers. Um, Ohio State and TCU. Oh, really? Ohio State and TCU. That sounds like a good okay. one, yeah? Yeah. Oklahoma State, Texas A&M. Mm. And Santa Clara, Cal. Number of good games in there, yeah? You know, I got to tell you, the last last week, we didn't have any – we didn't have this many marquee games. Those yeah. are some marquee big-time teams that already shown this year that they're rolling um, some big-time games. So, uh, looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing it. Uh, you play who? So, we play on Thursday against Oklahoma State. And then we turn around and play the big deal and oh, Rice right, yes. on Sunday in Houston. We have uh, the alma mater, my alma mater in UCF, Knights. Got that right no, this time? Got that right. Uh, on Thursday night here in Oxford. And then we travel to the uh, the Power Five uh, Killers in Western Kentucky. Knocked off two oh, Power wow. Fives. We're going to try not to make it a hat trick for them. We got Western Kentucky. At Western Kentucky, tough place to play. So yeah, should be a good week. All right. Um, anything else you're looking forward to? Games, games, games. That's it. Games, games, games. No doubt. All right. Uh, thanks to our producer, DJM Productions. Uh, John Walker was fantastic. Certainly worth your listening to him. Uh, I thought he was great. Look forward to uh, next week. Hopefully, uh, hopefully some wins, Chris, everybody will be happy. Uh, good luck to you and the team. Um, and, uh, and thanks to picker for being, uh, sorry, the picker, the big deal for being on. Uh, College Soccer Nation for this Tuesday on September 7th with Rico and Madi is officially over. If you have questions for Coach Petroselli or Coach Mott, you can reach them at cpetroselli at mail.smu.edu or mmott at olemiss.edu. College Soccer Nation is presented by DJM Productions and available on all your fine podcast outlets. Download it, give a review, tell a friend.